0: Today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start off by reading the first 10 verses. Alan is with me today and also Yoni, and so there's three of us today, and we're going to be going through this chapter. We're going to be looking at what God said to Paul to the Corinthians. And remember, as we have talked about hermeneutics, how we interpret the scriptures, you cannot know what it means to you until you understand what it meant in that day. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians, who he's speaking to, what is the occasion, who is speaking, who are the recipients, and what God is saying to them, and what it meant is what it means for us today. And that's our goal, original intent. So we're going to start by reading, and Yoni, if you don't mind reading the first 10 verses. For we know that if the earthly tents, which is our
1: house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad.
0: When we look at these statements, there's a lot that Paul is saying. And as we look at it, think about the background of a Hellenistic background that always separated the spirit, the spiritual, from the fleshly, from the body. And in their past life, in their worldview, in Corinth, before they came to Christ, there wasn't a concept of a physical body in the future for eternity for a Greek person. Now, Paul, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's talking about a physical resurrection that will take place in the future. And that's so powerful, and the Bible is very clear, old covenant, new covenant, that. In the flesh we shall see God. Job said that, Though my skin decay, in my flesh I will see God. And then Isaiah prophesies about it, and we see Daniel being told that in the end of the age you will rise again. And we, of course we see it in the new covenant as well. So in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about a physical resurrection. This is a concept that was not part of their worldview In the past. So now he again is emphasizing about a day of a physical body that we will have. And it's not going to be like the one that we have today that we're groaning in today. So let's look at verse one. Look at this statement. Look at these words as Yoni has read to us For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, there's a day that these mortal bodies will take on immortality. That's what he says in the first letter, that we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And these physical bodies will become spiritual bodies. And so here we have earthly tents, but one day we have a building from God. And you see the imagery of going from something that is temporary to something that is concrete, something that is eternal. Verse 2, for indeed in this house we groan. And I'm 54, and I can identify with this groaning. He's going to say it twice in this passage. And remember, this is written two years prior to the letter he wrote to the Romans. And when you get to Romans chapter 8, he talks about this groaning. He talks about the redemption of our bodies and how we're going to be changed, but not now. We still suffer the uh, pain of childbirth. Our bodies still suffer today. We are still under the curse of Genesis chapter 3. And some people say, no, we're not under that. Well, it has been broken, but the realization of that is at the resurrection. Mm. Not today. We still groan. My body groans. There are days it hurts. As you get older, people identify with that. We have earthly tents. And so for indeed in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We long to be out of this suffering of this painful body that as we get older, is not as strong, it's deteriorating. But there is a day that we're going to be clothed with a dwelling from heaven verse 3, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. So we are going, as the people of God, from a temporary body, from a fleshly body that will go to the grave, to a body that is a spiritual body that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, but one that will be changed, permanent, and one that will be eternal.
1: So, let me ask you, so when I'm reading this, and maybe you could clarify it, I, I'm, not, I'm personally just not as convinced that the clothing we're putting on is necessarily a physical clothing. I mean, I, I see the argument in the, in the sense that Paul has been saying that there is a fleshly resurrection, but, you know, when I read verses like, like verse 3, and so much as, as we, having put it on, will not be found naked— and then this following verse, you know, we long, but we want to be clothed so we're swallowed up by life. It just doesn't feel necessarily like, because I see that also applying the spiritual sense.
0: I don't know if maybe it's exclusive, maybe it's not exclusive. Look at the whole context here. Okay. The whole context is that we have a earthly tent, but what is waiting for us is a building from God, hmm. something that is temporary to something that is eternal. And permanent. And permanent. Mm. And so when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, who's the only one that has been resurrected, and people say, well, no, there were others. Resurrection means to come back to life, never to die again. Mm. And you see that he had a physical body. Thomas said, I will not believe until I touch your hands and to touch the scars and to touch your side. And when he touched him, he said, I believe. There is a body, but it was a glorified body. Think about Jesus just came into the presence of the disciples. And yet it is a body. And so we see a resurrected body. In First Corinthians 15, he talks about how we will take on immortality with a new physical body. Even those that have not died, when we're caught up to him, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And the whole emphasis is that we're going from a body that is a earthly tent to a building from God,
2: but it is for me, uh, Yoni, a physical body that's being emphasized here. No, I was just gonna say I think I think this is one of those things you could chalk up to you're just not gonna know till till you get there and it mm. happens. You know, I think our idea of flesh now is what we see in the natural.
0: Mm-hmm. You know there are
2: some examples, and you know of seeing Jesus in this glorified body, and oh, yeah. you know Paul saw mm-hmm. him with the bright light and all this kind of heavenly type mm-hmm. stuff that that is surrounded with that. But it's just things that maybe our, our mind just can't comprehend. Is kind of how I I look at it. And yeah, fleshly body, but what is flesh that's that's immortal look like? That's resurrected. It's just something we don't know. and We won't know till the Lord yeah. returns. Mm-hmm. I will
0: have to uh, disagree with you guys. Okay. I don't think this is something that we cannot know in the sense, I agree with Alan in this. We don't know exactly what it will look like, but it is a fleshly body.
1: Hmm. I mean, and of, and by fleshly, of, you mean physical, tangible. Physical. physical. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I should have used physical body. In my flesh, I shall see God. Jesus was resurrected, he had a body, yeah. he ate. We see him eating with the yeah, disciples. Right. Thomas touched his scars, the scars that mm-hmm. still represent that he will always be the Lamb of God mm-hmm. and that we will be able to see the scars of the, the nail prints in his hands, his feet, his side. So, But it's a glorified body. This is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he's emphasizing here, and it's very important that it's not a vague concept to the Corinthians, who did not believe in a physical resurrection in their past world view, They believe that the soul and the spirit live for eternity, but the flesh was gone because the flesh was evil, and there's not anything according to the flesh that's eternal. But scripturally, from the word of God, in my flesh I will see God. There is a physical resurrection that takes place. Now, I agree with this, Alan, in the sense we don't know what it looks like, But it is a physical resurrection. That's what I'm trying to say. That is something that is concrete. Mm -hmm. And so as we go through this, look at verse 4. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we groan. Yes, we do. From time to time, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Life itself, there is a time in which we will die and this mortality will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the spirit as a down payment or as a pledge. We have the spirit of God within us that is a down payment that what God has prepared for us is definite, it is yes, it is amen. There is a physical glorified body that is waiting for us. We will not be naked. This is what Paul is saying. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, in this physical body, we are absent from the Lord. As we're in this mortal body, we're not with the Lord right now. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is something that we have to receive by faith. This is the Word of God, that someday we're going to be with the Lord. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. That should be the focus of every believer, that to be absent from this mortal body is to be present with the Lord. We're going to go from a fleshly tent to a building that is made from God. We're going to go from mortal bodies to bodies that have immortality. We shall be changed, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, and we should desire to be with the Lord. Let me read this again. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I have never understood why believers, why Christians, messianics, fear death. If we really walk by faith, we're not walking by sight. What waits for us is so glorious, and to be with the Lord is our destination. That is our objective in life, that the bride is waiting for the bridegroom. And so it is better to be absent from the body. Verse 9, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That is our the mentality, that is our heart, that is our focus to be pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded, or to make amends, for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now this throws people off a little bit. This is not the white throne judgment of God that we see in the book of Revelation. We will not stand before the white throne judgment of God. This is the judgment seat of Christ for believers that we may be rewarded or to make amends for the things that we have done that had been pleasing to God and things that were not pleasing to God, whether it was good or bad. There is a reward or judgment, because it is the judgment seat of Christ for every believer. This is not an issue of salvation, but it is an issue. Did we do things in the right way? Did we honor God with our actions? Did our works, when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, are they going to be burned up? Or are they going to stand through the fire? Are they works that really glorified God? Or did we do them from wrong ambitions, wrong motives, I should say? And did we do it in a way that honored God or honored ourselves? We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive what we should receive according to the things that we have done, whether they are good or bad. And people don't want to like to hear, well, how can I come under judgment? What is coming under judgment is not our salvation, but the works that we did in his name. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we also see it here. The judgment seat of Christ for the believers, that we will stand before him and what we have done will be judged by Christ. This is consistent. We also see this in later writings with Paul. We see this understanding that we have to give an account of what we have done in his name.
1: Can I can I, yes. I? have this contrast? This verse is kind of always stuck out to me, verse uh, 4, and just specifically the part, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. And as we were discussing, I was like, well, maybe I'm just off base with my interpretation of it. But then I think maybe not so much, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. So I feel like modern day, there's this kind of idea of like, I need to know myself. People, a lot of musicians are like, oh, I just want to understand. I'm trying to express myself. And there's this kind of maybe new age ideology that um, if I can get to who my true self is, I'll fully self-actualize. You know, I'll really, I'll be everything I was meant to be.
0: That's your generation. But, yeah, go <laughs> but, but my yeah.
1: question is, maybe, is this also re- maybe relevant for way back then too, with the Greeks, because it's very kind of this philosophical idea of who am I? Who, tr- who truly am I? And to me, I always looked at this verse to say that that direction is supposed to be opposite. The godly way isn't to be unclothed, isn't to be, you, know, free from what we think is restraining us, but actually to be clothed by, I guess, in this case, the divine, the life. God, and, and so it's this, maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of contrasting. I've always looked at it like contrasting the, the modern desire of man to really understand themselves versus what actually brings life, which is putting on life.
0: What I would say, it, it, the flow of thought here is talking about a physical, our physical bodies that grow, mm-hmm. and we're not going to be unclothed in the future. We're going to be clothed. Okay. So we're not moving from a temporal body to no body. Uh, I shouldn't say it that way, from a temporal body to a day that it's just our soul and our spirit, Mm -hmm. that we will be clothed, we will not be naked, that there is a physical resurrection, there is a building from God that God has prepared for us that is not like these fleshly tents that we have today.
1: So to change the words a little bit maybe, and maybe you could let me know if I'm on the right track. So what you're saying is not just, oh, hey, we're going to die, and then we're just going to be like spirits and ghosts floating in the air. But it's going to be very tangible, and maybe that's also why what we just read, you know, we're going to be recompensed for our deeds. It's going to be very tangible. It's going to be real. Yes. Uh, Okay.
0: Yeah, it's all in the context of a a physical resurrection, a physical Mm -hmm. body that's in the future, a glorified body that's not like the bodies that we have now. Like, that's where I agree with Alan. We we cannot comprehend what that's going to be like. We have some glimpses of it with Jesus Mm -hmm. and his resurrected body. However, this is the context in which he's writing to them about, which is a new concept for them in their past worldview. But this is a Hebrew worldview. The Greek worldview tried to separate those things. The Hebrew worldview is that in my flesh I shall see God. There's a physical resurrection, that we are body, soul, and spirit, and we are one. The Greek Hellenistic worldview tried to separate those things. And it led to what we know of as Gnosticism, and mm-hmm. that sometimes it doesn't matter what I do with my body as long as my spirit is good. Uh-huh. So,
1: And he's kind of bringing it straight to that point right here right. by saying we are going to be judged by what we actually do.
0: Yes, but that's a different context that we're not dealing with right Mm -hmm. here. We're dealing with these temporal bodies will become eternal bodies. We're not going to be unclothed. We're going to be clothed in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be a fleshly tent. It's going to be a building from God. Mm -hmm. And it fits very well to what he said to them at the end of his first letter, 1 Corinthians 15. And there he's very specific that these bodies will take on spiritual bodies. And they will be changed, and they're going to be perfect. They're not going to be like the bodies that we have today that does what? We groan. Mm-hmm. And you two are young, and you don't groan like I grown. But someone that's 20 years older than I am, I'm in my 50s, they groan more than I groan because their body is deteriorating. And one day what is promised for us is not a fleshly tent, but a building that comes from God. And when it comes from God, it's going to be perfect and it's going to be eternal, not temporal. And that's the whole context that is here. So it takes faith to understand this, to believe this. We walk by faith. I would rather to be absent from this mortal body that we have right now because that means what? I will be present with the Lord and that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and so that's talking to believers, that's not talking to non-believers here, because Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. So that is the, uh, the recipients are saints, holy ones, that he is writing to. And we will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, Yoni, Allen, Scott, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Now that brings in a little bit of the Gnostic, Hellenistic worldview, because some of them said in these physical bodies, it doesn't matter what we do. We can go out and sin. We can go out and get drunk. We can go out and sleep with prostitutes, because it's just our bodies that does that, not our spirit, because our spirits have a knowledge of Christ. They separated your life in the flesh from your faith. Mm -hmm. So here... For his deeds in the body, in these mortal bodies, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, they will come under the judgment seat of Christ. Again, I do not believe that this is speaking about our salvation because he's speaking to believers. But as believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's go to verse 11. Alan, if you could read verses 11 through 15.
2: Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf.
0: The last part of this passage really emphasizes the love of God, the love that comes from God through Christ, that comes into our lives, and that that's what compels us. And so we look at this going back to verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I hope that we are made manifest or clear or obvious also in your consciences. So here, that it's obvious who we are, because remember, there is a battle going on within the Corinthian church between Paul and his associates, who is the founder of this church, and people that are rising up against him, trying to be in leadership. Maybe there are some that have leadership that are attacking Paul. We saw this earlier in the letter. Hopefully, it's clear to them. Verse 12, we are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. There is a godly way of being proud of others because of their work, because of the things that they do. And there should be a bond, a godly bond between the founder of this church and the people that came to faith and how this church was established. So he wants them to be proud of them so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Now, when you look at this, what I kind of try to assume here is what's going on, that some are putting a focal point on a physical appearance or how a person looks and take pride in their presentation. But what is important, Paul is saying, is not that, but it's the condition of the heart. Hmm. And so if we believe history, Paul was not a person that was physically blessed in the sense of he wasn't tall, Um, he wasn't attractive, Um, there wasn't much about him that drew us to him by his physical appearance. He also was not a great speaker. And some would attack him because he did not have the great skills to communicate like possibly Apollos, who came from Alexandria, Egypt. However, he was used by God, and Paul understood, it's not about my speaking ability, it's not about my physical appearance. Some put an emphasis on that. In fact, today, many people do that. That if John the Baptist stood up in our pulpit, probably most of the people would walk out. Why? Because of the physical appearance of how he possibly would have looked this guy does he's not attractive to me i don't want to listen to him he's not dressed in a certain way the physical appearance is not what is important but however some in corinth are putting a emphasis on appearance and not in the heart what is important to god is the heart it has always been that way why was david never even considered as a possibility as to be the next king of israel he was not even considered samuel said don't you have any other sons probably in jesse's mindset these are the sons that i can present before samuel that look the part that would represent us as a family to be a possibility of the next king he never even considered david So we really don't know at that point in his life what he looked like, what his physical appearance was. But as soon as David came before Samuel, God said, this is the one, anoint him as king over Israel, and his kingdom will be established forever. David is the only individual that is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. So the heart is what is important. But some put an emphasis on what? Our physical appearance. And these bodies are just fleshly tents. Mm. And they are decaying. They are groaning. It's only in the future that we take on an eternal body. Tents that will be replaced. Tents that will be replaced with what? A Mm. building from God. Mm. Yes. So praise God for that. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. People debate, what does this mean beside ourselves? I kind of look at it at all the sufferings, the persecutions, everything that they are going through at this time earlier in the letter. They felt like they were about to be killed as you go through this letter. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. It's all for God's glory. And if we are of sound mind, it is for your benefit. it is for you.
2: Yeah, it's almost like beside ourselves there's a few sayings and, you know today like that, but it's almost like you are shook up you know something's rattled you, you're beside yourself when this happened. You hear that a lot when a loved one passes and it's just tragic or something, and the person says, "Hey,'m I was beside myself. I didn't even know what to think or what to do. So and what kinda... what
0: was making them beside themselves at this point historically?
2: The persecution.
0: The sufferings, the, uh, the persecution. Also, the conflict, some of the worst persecution was the conflict coming from within the Corinthian church.
2: church. Yeah, Paul getting attacked, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. that really probably founder of a church. And you have these leaders of a church that he founded turning against him, questioning his whole ministry, basically. Um, Yeah, you'd be beside yourself.
0: (laughs) Yes. There's division in this church, even though the majority agreed with Paul over this one situation earlier. That brought about, it seems to be, that it brought about repentance, but it brought a lot of division. So there's division, there's people fighting against Paul. They're beside themselves, but they're doing it for God's glory. If they have a sound mind, and that's part of what God gives us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Paul writes that to Timothy. That sound mind is for your sake. We're giving you Good teaching, right advice, listen to the Word of God. It is for your benefit. Then we go on and we look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. The love of God is what controls us every day, that He died for all, and now we all die Because of this love, we die to what? Ourselves. Mm. Let me read this again. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, out of the love of Christ, this is my conclusion, that one died, Christ died for all, therefore all died. Mm. So through this death, the love of God that is demonstrated through Christ, think about what he's going to write in Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. Who can understand that type of love? That controls us. Therefore, the conclusion, he died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. And I want to say this, our walk with the Lord through Jesus Christ is that we don't live for ourselves that is bondage that is slavery we die to ourselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf let me read that again verse 15 and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves we who are alive so that we can just get rid of this boring insignificant life of trying to live for ourselves that we die to ourselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf we are living for him that is the focus of our lives to glorify god through jesus christ and
1: it's it almost seems like it's kind of bringing it back to to verse 12 it's kind of tying it together where it says you know we do not take pride in appearances but in the heart because it says so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in the heart and if you know we're beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are for somebody, it's for you. And then he kind of ends it by saying, "We're, we're all dead. Those physical appearances are meaningless now, um, and uh,
0: we're we're dying to ourself. That shouldn't be what is important. We're not. It's not yeah. our ambition, our dreams, our hopes, our future. Yeah. A dead man doesn't have a future. We have died to ourselves." And our whole life is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, thinking about this in in sort of today's, what it could be saying to the church, you know, is this, you know, you see a lot of the self-help self about me, you know, in a lot of, especially Western churches. As Paul hinting at some of those issues, you know, talking about the pride and appearance it's about mm. suffering. It's about dying to ourselves. Do you think maybe some of the Corinthians were coming and being self-focused at the church and, and, and focusing on themselves? And it's about me and what can God do for mm. me? And they were getting the focus off of others. Mm.
0: Yes, I think that's human nature. I mean, you think about the three of us. Our biggest challenge every day is to die to ourselves. I mean, I don't want to do this. I do want to do this. I don't, you know, all of that is going through A battle every day of just coming to an understanding, it's not important what I want to do, but God let your will be done. And that's a daily challenge. And in this Western culture, it is so out of control within the church, because almost every song, every message, everywhere we go, it's like the gospel is not even being preached, because the gospel is about dying to, he died for all, and now What is our conclusion? What is our response? We die to ourselves. What does Paul say in Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, this flesh here, this mortal body, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life me so this western christian message about everything about fulfilling your destiny and god is here to help you to better yourself and all of these things that saturate the western church that's not the message of the gospel jesus said you want to be my disciples you have to deny yourself pick up your own cross and come and follow me and that's what it's all about and so I'm not concerned about fulfilling my destiny because I'm supposed to be dead anyway. And people say, well, that's, you're being over-spiritual. That. No, that's just basic. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a messianic believer following the Messiah, I am to die. And it's no longer about Yoni, Alan, or Scott. It's all about him. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. That's what he meant And that's what it means for me today. And sometimes I'm in churches and I want to walk out. I'm tired of hearing a sermon about myself. You know, I want it to glorify him. I want to minister to him. I want to build up the body of Christ in order that we can do something for him, not for me.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, imagine all of the Corinthian church or all of one of the quote-unquote mega churches here in the States that would, if every believer came in and said, I'm dying in myself, I'm going to live for Christ, and let's see what I can do to serve today to somebody, you know, in the body. I mean, how powerful would that be? Instead of now it's everyone coming in, what am I going to get out of this? Oh, I didn't really get a, a good word today. You know, I don't feel uplifted. I might go check out another another congregation. You know, that's the mentality now. Right. It's not how can I go. And give to somebody that may be needing or hurting the body. It really would be, just a, it'd be just a dynamic change.
0: It would turn this country upside down. Yeah. If we had a true biblical perspective of what the Christian life is all about. Yeah. So let's get back to basics. We've been saying that back to prayer, fasting, the Word of God, dying to ourselves, taking up our own cross, be willing to say, God, let Your will be done in my life every day. Deny ourselves. Take up that cross, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, be ready for persecution and suffering because that's what he promised us. And to be able to speak what God wants us to speak and be who God wants us to be, and that's the only thing that is important. Everything else is secondary, everything else is buried in the grave.
1: It almost seems like, from what you're saying, that this passage is just coming up against selfish ambition. Would you agree with that statement?
0: Well, we're flowing in from this mindset of the physical body that we'll have in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's a focus on the eternal and not the temporal Mm -hmm. things. And that is something that is a hard thing for us every day to face, that we want to live for the temporal things and not the eternal things of God. So I think that's more of the battle of where he's coming from. And when we talk about uh, what is our response, the love of God controls us and how we live our lives. So therefore, he died for me and he died for all. Therefore, I'll die. What is my response? I'm dying for myself so that I can live for him. Mm -hmm. That's the eternal things of God, not the temporal things of men. The temporal mindset is focused upon, yes, the things of now, the things, the physical appearance, the things about what I can achieve for myself on this earth now but our focus should be the future and put everything into god's hands we walk by faith not by sight this is how i see this this context flowing through here yeah, it ties together let's look at verses 16 i will read here verse 16 therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh even though we have known christ according to the flesh Yet now we know him in this way no longer. That last part of that statement gives you a clue of what he's talking about. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to worldly standards. That's how I would see this. Even though we have known Christ according to these worldly standards in the past, because the next statement is saying, Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Paul, in his upbringing, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They didn't know him according to the way that they should have known him. But now we know him no longer in this way. We're not judging that this is a man up on a cross and cursed as everything that hangs upon a tree. They're not looking at the cross in a worldly standard and saying, how can the king, the Messiah, the son of God be this individual? This is how I would see this. Remember, he died for all. But most people in the past would have seen that as a curse. How could this be the savior of the world? So we're not judging by worldly standards anymore. We even did that for Christ Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in the Messiah, in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Praise God. This is how we know Christ now. In the past, we judged him by a worldly standard. This could not be Jesus could not be the Messiah, but now we don't look at it in that way. Now we know that anyone that is in Christ, he is a new creature.
2: I just kept thinking while you're reading that about back where Paul said, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you looked at sight, yeah, there's this man that just got hanged or yeah, hung on a tree on a cross. He's cursed. That's what you see, right? When you see, you know, this freshly body decaying, groaning, that's just what you see. But now through the Messiah, the eyes are open to faith where, no, this Jesus died, but he died for all and he was resurrected. You see these people, it's not just, uh, you know, Scott's decaying, he's going to be old and, and going to the ground. No, this is an eternal person that's in front of me that God cares about, that God loves, that he wants to redeem. And you, and when you're walking by faith, that's opened, mm-hmm. you know, your eyes are open to that way. The mm-hmm. eternal
0: salvation, which will include a building from God. Yep. a a physical body in the future that will be perfect. And so we're living for the eternity through what Christ has done. And we are a new creature. This is very important to theology. What is theology? Conclusions. When we come to Christ, there is a change with the individual. And if there is not a new creation or a new creature, if there hasn't been a change from the inside, has that person truly been born again? Unless he's born from above, born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So what I'm saying, there it has to be a change within a person. Salvation is a radical experience. It is a work of God's Spirit where we're changed from the inside. Think about the promise of a new covenant. Where will the law be written? On our hearts. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone. The law of Moses could never change anybody because it's not a work of God's Spirit. It says what the law is, but it cannot change anybody. But there's a day of a new covenant that's coming to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, where the law will be written here, where everyone that knows this new covenant, experiences this new covenant, will know God from the least to the greatest, because I will forgive Their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. This is what Jeremiah prophesies about. Ezekiel prophesies about a day that the Jewish people return back to the land. And he's going to wash them with water from the inside. He's going to give them a heart of what? Stone or a heart of flesh? Mm -hmm. A heart of flesh. He's going to take the heart of stone from them. He's going to give them a true heart of flesh that beats for God. And God says, I will put my spirit within them and I will be their God and they will be my people. What is it talking about? A time that the Jewish people are going to return back to the land that God's going to redeem them from the inside out. A life in the spirit coming to God by the work of the Holy Spirit, being born again, changed from the inside out. We are a new creation, a new creature in Christ. Christ died for our sins. He was resurrected with a glorified body. He's alive. We die to ourselves. We live for him, and we understand we are a new creature in Christ. So it's more than just a prayer. It has to be true faith that comes from the heart that we're transformed. Now, we might be a babe in Christ, but a baby is a new creation, correct? Mm-hmm. See, the Corinthians had be- become new a new creature, those that had come to faith in Christ, but they were babes and they should have been mature by now, but they were not growing up, but they were still a new creature. Mm-hmm. That's something that I want us to understand. When the baby is born physically in this world, because it's not mature, we don't say it's, it's not a new creation, it's not a new creature. No, we don't say that. But we have to train that baby to mature, and through the years they become stronger and stronger. And you better watch out. That baby, as you're, you take your eyes off of that baby, that baby may roll off that bed. So you got to make sure you secure them. And then one day, they're going to stand up, and then they're going to crawl, and they're going to walk, and they get their bruises, and you have to watch them. And then then they're going to start walking, and then they're going to start running, and then they're going to start maturing physically in every aspect of this, their lives. That's how it is in Christ. We are a new creature. We have been changed. We are a babe in Christ. And we have to be discipled, and we have to grow up and mature in the things of God. Mm. Amen?
1: Not from a fleshly perspective.
0: From a spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So this is something that we are a new creature. So a person that says, oh, I believe in Christ, but I'm living in sin, and I have no problem with it. No, they haven't been changed from the inside out. They have a head knowledge. They heard something But faith, Paul says, comes from the heart. It's with the heart man believes. And here, Paul is emphasizing it's not about appearance, but it's about what comes from the heart. It's about what's in the heart. And so we are a new creation, a new creature in Christ. The old things have passed away. That old nature and what we used to long for in the past Behold, new things have come. There is a new way of looking at life because we're a new creature. Verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as we have been reconciled, now what is our ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. As we have been forgiven we are people that forgive. As God's mercy and grace has come to us, we are people that show the mercy and the grace of God. As we have been reconciled back to God, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. This is what Paul is saying. What God has done from us is not isolated to us. We are not an island. We are to be used for God's glory. So if God is if Christ has reconciled us back to the Father, We have a ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him everywhere that we go. As though God were making an appeal through us, God is speaking through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled unto God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus was the spotless, sinless, perfect Lamb of God without sin. He knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. How do we understand that? He became a sin offering. He took our sin even though He had no sin. And when He went to the cross, this is the love of God in Christ, He died for our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I stand holy before God. I am a new creature. I stand complete. When God looks at me, he doesn't see all of my weaknesses. He doesn't see my bad motivations sometimes. Now that will go before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm -hmm. But when he sees me, because of my faith, if it's a genuine faith that comes from the heart, he sees someone that is holy. And that's what the word saint means, holy one.
1: Amen. When I read this, I, I, I come away with this thought that maybe we shouldn't be, you know, if somebody isn't living, quote unquote, a perfect life, you know, if they're, having, if they're doing something wrong, Maybe we shouldn't be coming to conclusions about where they are spiritually because we've all been made new, and, uh, and the heart of it is reconciliation. That's kind of what I come away with. Do you agree with that statement? Do you have reservations?
0: It depends on how far we take it. If we say that a person living in sin and bondage of sin but still re- is reconciled back to God scripturally, that's not compatible.
1: Because there's, there's, I guess, an act of rebellion there in a sense.
0: It reveals the heart. Mm. It reveals who's in charge of their life. Mm. If we go to First John, First mm. John is so critical because it deals with these issues. If we say we have no sin, we lie and mm. do not tell the truth, and we make God to be out a liar mm. because we do sin. And He's speaking to Christians. So you and I, we we mm. do sin, and there, and and if we sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is written to believers in mm-hmm. 1 John. But if you go over to chapter 3, there's a difference between when you and I sin and we know the conviction and we confess that to God and we walk in his His forgiveness. We don't allow it to build. We don't allow it to become controlling our lives when you go to chapter three no one who practices sin is born of god mm-hmm. jesus came to destroy the works of the devil not for us to live in it but to destroy it so sin, sin shall not be master over us he's going to say in romans because we're not under law we're under grace mm. we are slaves to him slaves to righteousness So therefore, what I'm saying here, Yoni, is this, is that we have been reconciled back to God. Yes, we do sin. We do fall short. That's one way of understanding sin. We fall short of what we should be. It's not just the things that we do, the things that we don't do sometimes. When we knew we should have done this and taken the opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ. However, there's a difference between that and a person that is living in sin. And in bondage Mm. to sin. So as long as we don't go into that realm here and the person living in sin, it reveals their heart. And this is what Mm. we're dealing with in in Western culture. It's a neo-Gnosticism that separates your faith from your life. Mm. And in the biblical worldview, you cannot do that.
1: So what you're kind of saying is, you know, we shouldn't be judging necessarily or determining things based on the flesh. But the key here is they must be in Christ.
0: And what does it mean to be in Christ? Okay, let's go back to the first letter. They should have been judging in chapter 5 the man that was sleeping with his father's wife.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: He says, don't we judge within the house of God? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yes. Why have you allowed this to go on? So here's a person that probably identifies with Christ. He's part of the community of faith, yet he's living in sin, and the body's not doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And he says what? Kick him out Mm -hmm. for the sake of restoration, that his soul, in the end, will be saved. And we believe in the first part of the second letter that there was some repentance on the part of this individual. Mm -hmm. But it caused what we say in Hebrew, a bullagun, a mess of what took place, and it caused a lot of division, a lot of hurt anytime you kick someone out. But you cannot identify with Christ and live in sin. That's one thing that is consistent.
1: Make a practice of sinning.
0: Practice of sin, a lifestyle of sin. The verb in 1 John chapter 3 is ongoing sin. Mm-hmm. And a person that is living in sin, embracing sin, this is not the love of the Father. And he's going to say that the one that, that loves the world and the lust of the eyes, and the, I forget the terminology, the boastful pride of life, the love of the Father is not in him, the one that loves the world. And so the person that loves the world will be in bondage to sin. But the person that loves God, hmm. loves God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, our focus is on him. Hmm. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. But when God looks at my life, he doesn't see that imperfection. He doesn't see that weakness. He sees a new creature. He sees a new creature, and he sees the righteousness of Christ. Mm. And that's where I would keep that context mm. here. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, it gets so confusing to people sometimes, but it's very clear within Scripture. Yeah. Contextually, and, in the whole yes. context
1: of what he's saying.
0: Yes. And this should bring humility When God looks at Yoni's life, at Alan, looks at my life, he doesn't see our shortcomings, but he sees the righteousness of the Messiah, that he died for our sin. And that shouldn't make us arrogant. That shouldn't make us humble. Mm -hmm. And to say, God demonstrated his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, Paul says, through the Holy Spirit that has been given unto us. He's going to say that in the letter he writes to the Romans. The love of God controls us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today in this studio, through this podcast. And Lord, I pray that we will honor you and let us be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere that we go to represent Him. And Lord, let us be used by You and let us be controlled by Your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening.
2: Have a blessed day.